You're listening to Life in the Faust Lane with Jared and Mary Faust. We are a brother-sister duo here to talk about everything from our opposing political views to Grandma's cornbread and everything in between. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for listening. This is Life in the Faust Lane podcast. This your girl, Mary. And today I am joined by oh, the oh-so-wonderful, as you're going to learn in this time together, David Gordon, who I know as Diggity. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Diggity. Hey, it's great to be with you. Yes. Okay. Well, you know what? I didn't even think of asking this question, but why do I call you Diggity and why can't I call you? I don't want to call you David because I love the name Diggity so much and it suits you so well. So can you just give a little backstory on, on why people call you Diggity? It's a wonderful nickname to have. I'm lucky to have gotten it. Um, you know, my full name is David George Gordon. And I used to sign all my emails, I still do, with DGG. And at the time, we're going back years, I was uh, dating a woman whose son also was David. So she didn't want to say, oh, I have a hot date with David tonight and confuse everyone. (laughs) And one day, her daughter, Ellen, who is a friend of yours, looked over her mom's shoulder at her email and said, Oh, D-G-G, Diggity. And that's how I got to be Yo Diggity. That's my, or Diggs. Oh my gosh. Yes, Diggs. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. I love that story. (laughs) So yes. It's a good nickname to have been awarded. So I'm happy about that. It is. It suits you. Plus you're like, you play the harmonica. It just, it suits you. (laughs) So the topic of this podcast today is, you know, if I had to sum it up into these human words that we use would just be something along the lines of learning to overcome our fears. I think um, as adults and, you know, as we get older, we just can find ourselves stuck in these traps that we've been in all of our lives. And usually the, in my opinion, the little guiding force behind that is fear. Fear is just, you know, has been running this show in a lot of people's lives. And so that being, said, <laughs> that being said, Diggity, I'm going to hand the ball over to you so you can introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and why you think I thought of you when I wanted to talk about this topic. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very honored and flattered by your including me on this, on this subject. You know, I'm the author of 20, well, 21 books right now, and they range on, some of them are kids' books, most of them are grown-up books. But they range from topics about gray whales and sharks, bald eagles. And then I would say in more recent years, uh, I've written books about cockroaches. Now there's a creepy crawly for you. Oh, Um, yes. And I've written about slugs and snails like you'd find in your garden. And I really hit the jackpot with a book called The Eat a Bug Cookbook which had at the time 33 recipes for cooking with everything from little termites and ants all the way up to big tarantula spiders. And that book remained in print for 20 some years. So I became known as the bug chef 
And that's been kind of my identity. I've up until this last year, of course, um, was traveling around the country giving uh, cooking demonstrations using all these strange to some ingredients like grasshoppers and crickets and, um, well, tarantula, spiders, scorpions, all that stuff. So, you know, I hate this expression, creepy crawlies. I know I just used it a moment ago, but <laughs> as I'm always saying, creepy to who? And it's like something that appears in the press a lot um, because quite frankly, our culture has this enormous bias against insects. It's yeah. not shared by every culture. Uh, in Japan, kids have pet beetles, for example. In the United States, it would be, don't bring that thing into the house. And yeah. they actually have funerals for their pet beetles when they die of old age. But, <laughs> you know, it's like a whole different perspective. But us of the European culture, uh, in terms of heritage, really have a hard time with bugs. Yeah, and, and like, uh, you said beetle. Yeah, I instantly, I just get riddled with fear. At anything that's not covered in soft, cuddly fur, I'm like, I want to be as far away from that as I can. But I know that's because I was raised with a very effeminate father <laughs> and my mom, neither of them liked bugs. So it was just like the whole house went into a frenzy if a bug, heaven forbid, you know, entered the home. And so I am trying to learn from that and realize, and when I met you and was like, wait, what? Like, I know even though you're cooking bugs, so, but you're, you're still using them and <laughs> utilizing their nutrients. You're not just smashing them or, well, you know. I had pet tarantula spiders in the past. I had a beautiful one named Doris for a long time. And I met um, one of yeah, your I'm, I'm comfortable with them. So I, actually, when we got into this conversation, I think initially by email, I was sort of challenging you. You have a bad attitude, knowing <laughs> full well that most people do. And unfortunately, women also oftentimes are stereotyped as people yeah. who go, ooh, yuck, scary. And I like to challenge that. I recently gave a talk at a private school in Switzerland uh, for Women in Science Day. How do you like that? Oh, I love that. This whole thing about women being stereotyped as being uh, fearful of insects. So it's like, it's, an, it's a, a, a profound topic, I think, because it has a lot to do with our understanding of the way the planet works. Yes, it does. And I think, like, okay, well, yeah, you remember months ago when <laughs> that those baby spiders hatch in that video that John and I posted. Oh, yeah. Uh, or I was like, what is this? What is this like nest thing? And you told me it's not there to hurt you. Like, yeah, that's when I realized, well, I've known, I've known that killing insects is not the way. It doesn't feel right. I don't like it. I don't want to end something's life just because it's, you know, mildly inconveniencing my life. But yeah, it's not very Zen Buddhist, is it? <laughs> exactly. And that's, yeah, the way of the yogi is not, you're not supposed to do harm to any other life form. So I don't, I hate that sometimes I'll swat and smash something that's tickling my arm before I've even like, realized it and then I see a dead little thing on my arm I'm like oh my gosh I just killed you and so <laughs> I'm trying yeah. I'm trying to like take a step back and oh something's crawling on me who came to visit me today yeah. there we <laughs> go. 
you know, it's a reflexive action. And unfortunately, it and a lot of our other fears go back to that really primitive brain of ours. You know, it wasn't yeah. that long ago that our ancestors were living in caves in close proximity with all manner of wildlife, some of which could be dangerous. That's and true. I think it's still a deep part in our brains. I have this, I'm okay with insects, but I do have a dislike that's inherent in me of uh, snakes. Mm. I've actually spent a lot of time trying to understand that. In a way, I feel lucky because it helps me understand people, I love this expression, who have unreasonable fears of insects. <laughs> so that's me. I have an unreasonable fear of snakes. I even was at the, the uh, Bronx Zoo one time in New York and sat there looking at in a cage with a cobra that was just sort of pacing its cage and trying to come in touch with what is it that gives me this feeling of uns unsettledness. Yeah. And I really couldn't. I couldn't. It was like so far down in my awareness, I could not connect with what it is about this thing. Intellectually, I know it's, well, they are, you can actually eat a lot of our pests. They eat rodents and yeah. they're good for the planet. But emotionally, I was like, ooh, get me out of here. Yeah. So, I, yeah, and I had a pet snake once, and I'm telling you right now, I never warmed up to it. I wanted to. I so badly wanted to just have it, you know, slithering along my arms and neck, and never did I warm up to it. You know, I took care of it and met its needs, but, like, did I feel, I don't know, I, I kept it alive. That's the yeah, best right. I could do, and then I ended up finding it a better home because I feel like I just never connected to it and i wonder because yeah snakes don't i don't know is it is it like the biblical yeah, <laughs> thing yeah. that's wedged into our brains like that that's satan <laughs> well that's the thing and i have to tell you i had a similar experience as a kid i had had actually i think traded for a couple of garter snakes you know common snakes in in chicago where i live and i kept them in a little cage on my back porch and I came out one day, one day and they pushed off the lid of the cage and escaped. And I actually felt relieved, like, oh, good. Now I don't have to be nice to them anymore because I yes. just had this. They give me the creeps. And yeah. you know what? I think it, it, it comes from that primitive part of our brain, but it also culturally, uh, the negative image of snakes is just really reinforced a lot. If there's a bad guy in a movie, who is it going to be? Cod, yeah. snake, right. Or, or if you're reading the Bible, who's the bad guy in the very first, you know, paragraphs of the Bible? Well, yep. well it's a snake. So yep. our cultural reinforcement is a real thing. I, yeah, I into, it's not I helping them out. The thing when I'm giving talks about eating insects, you know, food insects, that our culture did eat insects a long time ago. Um, you know, John the Baptist lived on locusts and honey. If you read the Bible, it says locusts are kosher. You know, it's okay mm. for you to eat them. And so obviously our culture as hunters and gatherers were much more into eating insects. Once we got into agriculture, all of a sudden insects became the enemy. They're the only animals on our planet that are actually in direct competition with humans for food. Uh, yeah, it's like we, we created more food for the insects. Now we're mad. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. we don't want to eat the insects. That's right. And, you know, so they get just bad press all the time. I don't know any real examples with the possible exception of butterflies or ladybugs, maybe right, dragonflies, they're, where they're maybe caterpillars. Yeah, maybe. But they're, yeah, positive light. How yeah. about that caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. you know, even that was kind of negative, to tell you the yeah, truth. That's but also, true. there's this fear mongering that goes on through pest control companies, mm -hmm. you know, exterminators, that if you have one bug in your house, you better whip out the poison and start oh, spraying yeah. it around. And there, you can actually hire uh, pest control operators to come to your house and spray the outside perimeter to kill spiders. And I'm like, yeah. well, wait a minute, the spiders are there eating the bugs. You don't want <sighs> to get rid of them. But but that's the, the stigma that's strong and attached to insects. Well, I'm not going to lie. You said that and immediately I was like, got to Google that. I can have that happen. But you're right. <laughs> like yeah. just this morning, I opened my eyes. And it, I mean, I have that like vision. I'm so observant i'd like nothing's getting past me so immediately my eyes zoomed to the front left corner far corner of my bedroom to see a granddaddy long leg has found a new home there and immediately my panic like i just panicked and then i thought of diggity i was like yeah. no 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 <laughs> he's there he's not gonna come down here and bother me like he's yeah. that's he's just there in his corner he's probably helping me more than i know you know, I have a friend at the Natural History Museum in Seattle whose specialty is spiders. He's always giving me great one-liners, and one of them was, why would they bite you? They can't eat you. You're too big. So, and that's really true. And those, those daddy long legs, harvestmen spiders, um, or harvestmen, they're actually not really spiders. How do you like that? Um, no. But those creatures, their jaws are so small, they can't even bite a human being. Well, that's good to know. One time as a teenager, I was getting ready in the mirror in my bedroom and a granddaddy long leg was right atop my head like a hat. Yeah. And so just seeing those giant legs, like I felt like it was my worst nightmare come true. Just all those giant legs on my head. So of course I freaked out and just panicked and probably like spread the legs all throughout my hair. Um, <laughs> but you know, Exactly. Had I known that its mouth was too minuscule to really do any damage, I could have just gently grabbed one of its legs and, you know, moved it outside. That's my yeah. hope for the future if ever one lands on my head again. I remember going to a meditation retreat years ago, and we were taught that if the mosquitoes were buzzing near you, you really shouldn't swat them unless they're actually on you, biting you. Because otherwise you know, it's like a disservice. Even Ram Das said that in one of his meditation retreats that it, they took it a step further and they said, if the mosquito lands on your face and goes to bite you, you still don't do anything. Yeah, right. Just move it away. Like, okay. It's a real uphill yeah. battle. I got to tell you, I've actually gone to insect fairs. There's a really great one in Los Angeles. I think the, the record is they get 13,000 people over a weekend who come to this museum because they want to see the insects that are displayed there or even being sold there. And at one point, I helped a friend who had a business. He was selling Mexican grasshoppers, seasoned Mexican grasshoppers. They're called chapalines. 
And if you can find them for sale, certainly in, in uh, San Diego or Los Angeles, you can. Yeah. Um, they're quite delicious. They go really well with a beer. So I was, oh. I said, well, I'll help you out at your stall selling these chapolines because I understand you're shorthanded. And I've kept dealing with people who are like, oh, I can't eat it. I know they're good for me and good for the planet, but it just is too weird. I can't eat it. And I was like, wait a minute, this is an insect fair. You came to an insect fair and you're telling <laughs> me your dislike of insects is so strong that you can't eat this thing that's like the size of one half of a Cheeto. <laughs> okay, see, here's my thing. If it looks like its original form, Mm -hmm. That is where I can't get past my brain. If I'm putting a thing that looks like it's got its head, its legs, its body, and then I'm just going to feel and know what I'm crunching. If it was hidden or like wrapped in bacon, even like <laughs> some way of disguising what it is I'm crunching. Because for me, it is a mental thing of like, now I'm biting its skull and eyeballs. Like I just, ah! I can't. Yeah, we're really we're really disassociated with the forms of food. I mean, you don't see the whole chicken very rarely, and even then, its feet and its head has, have been cut off. Right. Um, if you order a whole fish at a Chinese restaurant, when you're with a bunch of people, they bring out this fish in its entirety. Everyone yeah. stares at it like, well, now what do we do? And then the waiter comes over and serves it to you. So we, yeah. don't, we see little bits of things. For that matter, we even rename things. We don't talk about, I'm going to eat a cow tonight. We say, I'm going to have steak or yeah. ham or, you know, the, the very names of what we have are different yeah. than the actual animals itself. So the idea of looking at a grasshopper that's looking back at you might be weird for some people. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think I'm not a big meat eater naturally. Um, but you're right. Would I be able to go look the cow in the eye that I'm about to eat? No, yeah, I'd be a vegetarian. <laughs> exactly. And you know, though, I want, I want to just throw the statistic out here. 80% of the world's cultures eat some kind of insect. 80%. Wow. We're in that 20% that doesn't. And we think it's weird because it's basically not what our parents or our grandparents gave us growing up. Yeah, exactly. So it pencils out to something like 1.9 billion people eat bugs, but we have a real aversion to it, mostly because of our dislike of insects. See, I think I want to start. Um, I just, I reckon that with every other thing in life, it just takes a gentle shift in my consciousness of what bugs are. And so I think of them as pests, intruders. They have intruded my space. They're here to bite me and leave itchy lumps and nothing else. And <laughs> if I can start to shift that just towards they're a part of the ecosystem, they're here on planet Earth doing their part. And maybe I can put a cup over it and remove it and send it outside, you know, if it's too big. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. maybe I could just let you be up there in the corner, Mr. Granddaddy Longleg, until you decide to now, we've move on with your life. We've had pet spiders. We had one that lived in our our shower stall that was there for quite a long time. I don't remember. Eventually, something happened where the, the ecology of the shower stall changed, which is my scientific way of saying we cleaned the shower. 
and got rid of the spider. But yeah, it's really a weird conundrum. You know, I will be go on on the books as being an ambassador for for invertebrates in general. But insects are enormously helpful to our planet. They're pollinators of all our of many of our plants. Um, they're recyclers of a lot of the waste that winds up on our planet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, releasing the nutrients back into the soil where they mm -hmm. belong. And um, they're also food for lots of lots of animals, everything from, you know, other insects all the way up to jungle cats. So, yeah. you know, if they, they say that if all the insects were to disappear from our planet, the planet would grind to a halt in a yeah. very short order. So we need those guys. Um, yeah. But I do want to say we've all been brainwashed uh, through our culture. I was, I was amazed to read this study that said that little kids up until the age of four have no problem drinking a glass of milk with a rubber cockroach in it. But at eight, once they're like four years old, then they're going, oh, yuck, get that out of there. I don't want it. So, yeah, they're probably curious about it up until then. Like, what is yeah. that? Well, they haven't been indoctrinated yet. It's kind of proof that this is a learned behavior. It's not mm -hmm. innate amongst little kids. So I thought that was a fabulous study. But yeah, we are all victims of this thing of they're crummy. Now, now I also have to say that is changing somewhat. And, you know, I'm 70 years old. So I have a memory that reaches back into the early 1950s. And when I was growing up, nature shows were not in very prevalent. And if they were, it was mostly about a, a lion chasing a zebra or the, you know, what we call charismatic megafauna. Isn't that a great term for, you know, lions and zebras and big stuff, elephants. Well, now there's a lot of specials on animal planet and those kind of Smithsonian they're looking at praying mantises. They're like as cool as dinosaurs to little kids now. Like charismatic microfauna. Um, oh. Yeah, they, they actually have a place now that they didn't occupy uh, 50 or 60 years ago. And even things like if you go to a kitchen supply store, which I happen to like a lot, you used to only be able to find those big, the, the big guys like ladybugs or butterflies on coffee mugs and things like that. Now you can find coffee mugs that have stag beetles on them or praying mantises or bees, yeah. all sorts of different stuff. So the whole contest is what we would call normalizing it. Is it part of our everyday life? And I think we're actually winning and we insect lovers are actually winning in that normalization. I think you're right. And I think just even in general, our world is taking a shift in people realizing they don't have a choice. They need to start learning some kind of a more mindful way of life, like a more peace in their life. So I think that naturally leads them towards guidance structures that are geared more towards that idea of just don't do any harm to any life, you know, like, and if you are going to eat the meats and stuff, know where you're getting it from and um, really just, true. just be more proactive in the choices that you're making and more mindful in the choices. And so maybe I think you're right. That's going to shift on many levels. And then we can hopefully start living in a little more harmony here on this planet. I'm cheering for that. That's for sure. Can I tell you a kind of on the topic, off the topic story? Please do. 
I was at a conference, it was actually about salmon. And there were people from all around the world, salmon nations. So people from Kamchatka, Siberia, Japan, all over the place, not Canada, of course. And in the middle of this conference is Japanese man from Northern Hokkaido, one of the islands in Japan spoke up and he said, why are we all here? And you know, some people immediately answered, well, we're all here because we're talking about salmon and how important it is to conserve them. And, and he went, no, no, I mean, why are we all here on this planet? And that really stumped people for a while. And he said, well, I'll tell you what an elder told me, a native elder of Japan um, said, the reason we're here is to sing the praises of nature. It's the only thing that nature can't do by itself. And that's uh -huh. our job. And when I heard this, it really connected powerfully with me. I went, that's what I've been doing my entire life. Whether it's been like, hey, look at this, this is neat. Or writing books about cockroaches or what have you. It's about singing the praises of nature. And that's, I yes. think, a real high purpose here. And it's probably not to be exterminating things left and right. It's really more to support them and tell them how wonderful they are. I agree with you. Oh, that makes just okay. me so happy to hear because you're right. It's like, um, and even we can extend that out. So, okay, for example, you know, a, a giant bug enters my room. I panic. I don't know what to do. I feel invaded. I feel stressed. How am I going to get you out of here safely now? Um, <laughs> And then I feel, yeah, I feel intruded upon and like inconvenience, but you know, my new way of life is to push past that, find a cup, find a piece of paper, get it outside. Okay. So I've made it that far, but what I'm realizing is if I can shift that, I'm not being invaded. I'm being visited. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can carry that through to sometimes I feel that way about my friends. Like they've invaded me with their bad energy. They've invaded me with, you know, or my family, like and if I can start shifting that with bug intruders, maybe I can start shifting it with, you know, fellow human. <laughs> no, that's right. Now, we intruders. talked about this with, with agriculture, about how we're creating these ideal conditions for lots of bugs <laughs> yes. to come in and eat them. The same thing is true of our homes. We have warm, cozy environments year round and, you know, supplies of food. It might just be a a sweaty pipe that's somewhere in your basement. We don't know. But we create all these nice little niches for insects. And then we're appalled that we have to share our spaces with them. <laughs> I know. And oh, I just, okay, well, this, this makes me curious, Diggity, because you are a man and I am a, a female. And so like, I see my little Warren, my little boy roaming around and he's not afraid of bugs. You know, he just, had a roly poly the other day and I'm just like panicking inside, you know, holding it together on the outside, yeah. but I'm just panicking that this roly poly is going to unfurl and I'm going to feel its legs or, but anyways, yeah. I'm, I'm watching him play with it and I'm trying, I'm really actively participating in my parenting here by trying to not teach him <laughs> to right. be afraid put of these, down. Yeah. yeah, put that <laughs> down or get it away from me. Um, so, you know, he just gently, rolled the little roly poly around and then dropped it. And that was it. But like, I'm curious, do you feel like you remember this love? Like, did you have a connection to bugs and things early on from, oh. from childhood? Ooh, ooh, absolutely. 
In fact, when I think about it, I was raised in the middle of a really giant city with cement in all directions. And I would still find little wild places. It might be in my backyard or it might be at the city park or something, but I was born a nature nut. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was where I was my happiest. I was gonna tell you this wild story about when I was little, I must've been about four, um, my brother was in Cub Scouts. They went on a Cub Scout outing. And at the outing, there was this enormous emergence of cicadas. You know, these are creatures that live under the ground for up to 17 years. And then what do they look like? Once. Oh, gosh. They're, um, well, you know how you can find them? They're real nice pictures. They're, they're uh, revered in Chinese culture. So you might find them in art pieces, but they're, you know, maybe an inch and a half long. When they come out of the ground, they climb onto a tree and they immediately shed their old exoskeleton. Okay, yes, I've seen, I've seen them on some, just like what you were saying, all these, every yeah. single documentary about anything, I've, I've watched it when it comes so, to nature. So I know well, what you're talking about. Yeah, they're, all of a sudden there's zillions of them yes. where there was none before. They, and they're also noisy. They make this ratchety noise. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, don't they hibernate for like seven years? Longer than that, up to 17 years in some species, they're under the ground. Just alive. Yeah, and then something, we don't know what, activates them to come out. Yes, yeah, well, it's like a mystery. Well, at any rate, my brother was cut, was camping with the Cub Scouts in a, in a park in Chicago when all of a sudden all these cicadas emerged. And when he came back from his camping trip and told me, I'm three years younger than him, he told this story. I was like so envious. I can't believe you saw all that and I didn't. What a jip. And I spent the whole summer in our backyard looking for cicadas. Eventually, I thought I saw one. I grabbed the jar and trapped it using my hand for the lid of the jar. Oh, so great idea, except it wasn't a cicada, it was a wasp. No. It actually, stung me right in the palm of the hand. No. Like, Let me out of here. So I still didn't, this didn't uh, take me off of my path. And I spent the rest of the summer, I got to find a cicada, which I never did. Dang so that's it. my level of devotion to nature, even in a city like Chicago, where nature was, the opportunities were few and far between. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a great story. What on yeah. earth wakes those little cicadas up, I wonder? Maybe just, you know, God? <laughs> there's, a, there's a really, yeah, right. There's a really great story about a French um, entomologist, you know, insect scientist, uh, who actually wanted to prove the cicadas were deaf. They make all this noise, but they can't even hear each other because they're not, you know, they're, their mating partner is right next to them. Why would they have to make all that noise? So to prove his thesis that the cicadas were deaf, he fired off a cannon. And then the, you know, the cicadas were unmoved. So he's like, see, they didn't even, Gosh. they didn't even hear that. Well, of course they only hear a frequency that other cicadas can hear. So that was, you know, it wasn't on their quote radar to oh, hear yeah. a cannon go off. So it's totally ridiculous conclusion. Oh yeah, because they make a super high pitched frequency, I imagine, with their little That's right. It's like a high pitched whine. A friend of mine in Cleveland, I, I visited with him a few years ago. He said he was driving 
through an area where there were cicadas. He thought the water pump in his car was going out. So he actually pulled off the highway to check it out and realized <laughs> the noise was still there, even though his car wasn't moving. Uh, I wish that like, I wish I felt like, oh, little cicadas. I just, I'm now remembering what they looked like. Uh, I just feel like I would have a heart attack if I saw one yeah, of well, those things. Well, rest assured, they don't exist west of the Rocky Mountains. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> but I want to tell you, part of your getting friendlier with insects involves looking at them up close. And some yes. of like there's a gazillion different species of beetles. Most of them have nothing of interest in us. And when you look at them cl closely, they're like design award winners. They have really great stripes and spots and metallic colors. And even their antennae are very elegant. So I would say find a little book, maybe a kid's book, that just goes through the different kinds of insects and marvel at them. They're wonderful little marvels of engineering, uh, way yeah. niftier than a lot of our mammals. I'm not so interested in mammals. To tell you the truth, I like invertebrates and I really love fish. That's my big passion. Oh, see, I didn't even know that about you. Fish, huh? Mm -hmm. Under the water. Yeah, I worked, yeah. At, I worked at two public aquariums, first in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And it was actually my impetus for moving out west to uh, Tacoma, Washington, to work at their aquarium. Wow. Yeah, that's my thing. But I that's love so insects cool. as well, that said. Hmm. Yeah, see, I, I'm wondering, because, you know, just talking about all this fear, and it's so weird, because I can like, feel the fear in my body, just thinking of, okay, my number one bug of dislike yeah. <laughs> is the cockroach. And I, I'm just telling you right now, they're, they're my number one, like I, I don't even like the name gross cockroach yeah. gross roach even when you shorten it gross um sure uh, I hate that they have I hate that they could you know survive a what nuclear yeah, right. explosion we would all die and the cockroaches would live that makes me distrust them even more even though it should make me think they're cool um so I got to challenge you on that because I, you know, that was one question when I was working on a book called The Complete Cockroach that told you everything you wanted to know about cockroaches. See, maybe but that's what I need to do is read see, that book. But everybody I talked to said they'll, they'll outlast us. And when I actually looked into it, I found out that that was based on early days of nuclear capabilities when, you know, the bombs that people used in their during World War II. Hiroshima, they were small by today's comparison. How sad we've now, we've yeah, now, now... We the capability to wipe out everything. <laughs> I guess say humans found a way. We were like, wait a second, the cockroaches would still live. Let's figure out a way to yeah, make right. sure everything. But, but goes. wait a minute, the thing that's so amazing to me is I also learned that you know cockroaches can withstand high levels of radiation, but so can goldfish butterflies, and rabbits. Now, you don't hear anyone saying, if they drop the big one, all that will be left are rabbits. Are rabbits, yeah. It's or just butterflies. Cockroaches. It yes. just doesn't have the same horror impact as, you know, cockroaches will inherit the earth. 
That's a terrible thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so like as much as I'm dreading it for whatever reason, and I'm also learning this, you know, the each year that passes by, I feel a little tiny tinsy bit wiser. And I feel like I am learning that facing my fears is the way to go. And so I'm afraid to do it, but I think what I must do and, and correct me if I'm wrong and, or add more advice here, shifting this fear. Let's start off with the cockroach for me would yeah. probably be a good start to learn about them. What I have no idea what cockroaches are put on this earth to do, except make me want to die. So I should probably <laughs> You'll have do to a read little bit my, more research. You'll have to read my book. That's for sure. Cause it gets okay. into all of that. You know, there's something like 3000 different kinds of cockroaches and <sighs> probably a two dozen of them are considered pests. And actually <sighs> half of those are pests outside like running around your swimming pool. So, <sighs> so we just, yeah, you know, yeah. We just kind of, it's like saying I don't like people because I met a few and I didn't like them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to tell you, by the way, I love this story that cock the word cockroach came from none other than Captain John Smith of the early days of imperialism in the New World. And oh. he he actually misunderstood. He said he wrote, I met these Spanish people from the Spanish ships, and their ships were just overrun with these insects that they called cockroaches. He meant to say cucarachas. <laughs> oh, that? That's where that what? crazy word comes from, the Spanish cucaracha. La cucaracha, la cucaracha. Exactly. <laughs> I actually have a research, why do we sing about cockroaches? And I learned that that's actually a slang, in Mexican slang. It goes back to the, the Mexican Revolution. And they were basically singing about their enemy uh, General Carranza, who um, they were calling a, La Cucaracha, which meant like a little old lady, basically. He was a little old lady. But, you know, by, by telling you all this, this is intellectual material. It's not emotional material. And, you know, you can say, yeah, I guess they are pretty good. And they could still give you the creeps because studies have shown people don't like things that pop out from unexpected places. Yes. Or or slither around like, you know, they run erratically or that <laughs> look slimy. Well, three cheers for the cockroach. It gets all, all of gets them. All three of those points. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. And that's right. It's like, so the reaction to it, you know, I don't have to bend down and kiss the cockroach on the back, but like I can still jump and be startled, you know, check in with myself. Remember what I've learned about cockroaches. It's not here to end my life. Um, right. And then now this brings me into my next question. Aside from putting a bowl cup, like what are ways that we can get these critters at least back outside? Like, I mean, is that just the, the tried and true way, the old slip a piece of paper under a bowl or a cup <laughs> like put guess, the cup over the bug <laughs> yeah i guess hypothetically that's the probably the least harmful way to go with that yes um, certainly better than squashing them or spraying them with bug spray which i think is uh, yeah really, really harmful to not only the bug but also to yourself and the, any other life in your vicinity um, part of it is just learning to live with them. And when I worked on my cockroach book, I actually learned there's a thing called 
an aesthetic injury level. And like, for example, people who live in tenements or slums, and they're used to having lots of cockroaches, so it doesn't bother them the same way that white bread suburbanites might freak out over one cockroach. Yeah. It's a different level of what, I, what can I live with? So yeah. I always say, first of, first of all, is figuring out with yourself, what can you live with? Yeah. And a few bugs inside of your house, if they're not causing problems, are probably a good thing because it means you haven't poisoned the environment in your home so much that they can't live there. Yep. Now, it's also an issue, though, because a lot of the spiders that we have in our homes actually are, are creatures that have been traveling with people for zillions of years from places like Europe. They're not even from here. And they can't live outdoors. They're, they're evolved to live in the comforts of our homes. Oh. So putting them outside is like sending them to the gulag in Russia. Oh my gosh, I have never even thought of that. I just thought yeah, they right. were outside, then they got inside. Now I'm gonna put them back outside. Yeah, <laughs> sentencing them no. to a life outdoors. But, no, but you know what, the thing is, there are lots of things we can do to our homes to make them less friendly to those visitors, well, six and eight legged visitors. Um, one thing is we can look for spots of moisture because there are studies that show that cockroaches, for example, can live longer without food than they can without water. So we have to start finding, well, where is there a leaky pipe somewhere under the sink or something yeah. that's giving, giving them water? Uh, and then things like, you know, pet bowls where there's always a little food around. As, yeah. as a, we, we're, we're creating what they call in, in law firms an attractive nuisance in our home. Yes. So we have to minimize that, make it a little less of a desirable place to live. And I think you'll find that there are a lot less bugs in your house once you do that. Yeah, yes. And yeah, I think you're right. Like if I see a bug, I've been also trying to just practice, you know, if it's a small little spider on the wall, okay? Yeah. If if I go and do a quick thing in the other room and come back, chances are it's going to be gone and I'm mm -hmm. not going to know where it went to. And that is exactly what I, I just don't want to know you're here in this room with me so <laughs> hide under a piece of furniture or do something and and I'm okay with that I'm okay knowing you're here just like don't show yourself to me and and please don't crawl on me that's the message I want to send to <laughs> yeah well and also you know and it sounds like you're doing this already but becoming a little more friendly towards these guys yeah. is a really good step because you know the little the little bug on the wall isn't going to make a difference one way or the other in your life and your quality of life. It's not going to bring germs with it. It's not going to bite you. Yeah. And, you know, and on yeah. and on and on. Um, so they don't. They shouldn't have to hide to to coexist with you. It's more about your attitude than about their whatever we want to call it. Their nuisance level. Yes. Yes. You're right. Yeah, and I think like, I've just, I don't know, I've been connecting my fear of like bugs and critters and things to my other fears in life. And it's just like, it's just because it's the unknown, you know, they're, they're mysteries to me, bugs, because I've always been afraid of them. I've never actually like hunkered down to educate myself yeah. on them. So they're just going to keep 
that fear has almost gotten worse with age. Cause if you, you know, if you keep allowing yourself to, to add more, you know, yeah, they are gross. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, right. They are whatever. Um, but I'm trying to shift that. And I think um, what better place to start than, yeah, the life form sharing this space in this time on earth with me. <laughs> That's a good step one. I like it. Let me ask you this question. Where you live now, you must have lizards. Well, they're like we're out, hanging out in your backyard or clinging to walls or whatever. Do they growing, keep you out? No, no, no. Lizards don't creep me out at all. Um, they're cute. I love lizards. Yes, they're cute. They have personalities. I feel like bugs don't. Maybe if I could see a bug have a personality, which I have seen a praying mantis had a personality once, but other like, I feel like bugs don't have personalities. That's why I can't feel connected to them. <laughs> oh, you have to watch this movie. It's a French documentary. I bet you can find it online called Microcosmos. Okay. It actually has all sorts of amazing stuff in it including this beautiful scene of two, two snails, land snails mating, and they're playing opera music in it. <laughs> I know, it's okay. Great. But also All right. there, there's a, a dung beetle pushing a little ball of dung, which is what they do. And you watch this thing, get it, the dung ball gets stuck on a thorn and you see this beetle trying from about five different angles how to keep this ball rolling. It's really touching. <laughs> so I think if people take a little more time to watch these insects, they will find yeah. that they have personalities. Yeah, and, and just like, yeah, I don't know, we hear it. I've heard it so many times in my life. Face, just face your fears, just face your fears. But, um, mm -hmm. but no, I still, automatically run the opposite direction from my fears i mean that's my first instinct uh, i've gotten better at like pausing and and recognizing and and saying no i'm not gonna you know run from this but yeah i thought oh bugs and yeah. <laughs> you know my brother things. oh i'm sorry my brother is a was a director of horror movies in fact i dedicated my eat a bug cookbook to his to his name. And he has said, he showed me that gross can be good. But, but um, he told me once, he said, you know, people's fears are actually behind every fear, there's a wish. Ooh. Thought, wow, what an interesting perspective that is. And it is kind of true that a lot of the things we fear, oh, no, this is going to happen are actually very latently buried wishes. I hope this will happen. Wow, that that's, that's pretty incredible that you said that because just this this new home that we moved into recently um my first i think it had to have been my first night or at least my second night in the home mm -hmm. i was i was just filled with you know the you know i think everyone knows what that feels like when you move to a brand new place and you're just not you're not settled yet your roots haven't been you know, planted, you're kind of just yeah, in that place, in. Right. taking it all in. And we are cohabitating with another family temporarily. And so just taking on new people, new humans in my life. So anyways, a, a giant, gigantic cricket came and, and like hopped right next to me in my room. 
<laughs> and <laughs> initially I was just panicked, filled with fear over a cricket. Like crickets yeah, right. are cool. They're not even creepy. Right. They you know, charisma. they have charisma, they have personalities, but still I was so scared. I put a bowl over it. It could breathe, but I left a note for John to take care of it in the morning. Yeah. So I, whatever it was fine john took care of it. it was alive the next morning but it took me to the next day to like realize why did i let that cricket scare me so much and then i looked up you know crickets are good luck yeah crickets that's right. are, the cricket they're usually has a there yeah they're usually there to like yeah you're a greeter to, yeah <laughs> exactly and once i read a little bit about crickets i felt like that little guy was coming to and then now that you just said something about a wish, I'm realizing the cricket, isn't it a symbol of like peace or something? Am I making this up because I want it to be? <laughs> well, I, I don't really know about the symbolism of crickets, but I do have to tell you that the only insect to win an Academy Award in the music best music category was Jiminy Cricket for When You Wish Upon a Star. See what I'm saying? They, yeah. They're... <laughs> I, I did read i think whatever whatever crickets are supposed to symbolize it would make so much sense for what my yeah for what my wish is when it comes to wherever i'm calling home yeah um I, you know of course we all have these wishes and what we want what we desire and like i feel like the cricket made so much sense considering you know what what do i want from my new home where i can plant my roots and things so oh see if i want to start yeah. getting more in tune with these little insects scurrying around my life there are nice there's a couple of nice poems about the cricket by the hearth oh. because they like the warmth you know so that someone yes. got very rhapsodic about these beautiful creatures that live by the hearth so i think they're a sign of domesticity you know, they're yes. like the home and the, yes. happy, the happy, cozy hearth. So yeah, yes, I think yes, you're, yes. there was an insect ambassador in your life. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm taking baby steps. I hope other people do too. I hope my, the listeners of this podcast stop smashing bugs uh, <laughs> right. and like, don't spray all those poisonous pesticides. They're not good for our kids. They're not good for our pets. Even the ones that say like, or the green pesticides i i have a feeling that's not no anything that's being sprayed that's going to like murder large quantities of yeah <laughs> of probably a species. not good for the planet <laughs> yes. or your family um, well, i think the best thing you can teach your kids is to coexist with nature yeah. and find all these miniature marvels around them i mean i used to get yes. off on the little weeds growing in the cracks of the sidewalk and pretend I was flying over the Amazon and these were forests, you know, they're <laughs> tropical forests. And that yeah. I just was so in love with nature that I could find it anywhere. And that's what I, that would be my goal for all the kids growing today. Yep, just get get in touch, pick things up, get curious, get slimy, get dirty. Like, and that's what I really am trying to encourage for little Warren and even letting that side of me come out a little bit more you know as a girl especially we're taught even more so don't play with bugs don't get dirt under your nails so i want that you know inner side of me to be awoken a little bit more curiosity in these little 
creatures and critters scurrying about. So sounds like you're on a great path towards that goal. Well, I'm happy to have you as my friend in my life to keep assisting me because, you know, I, <laughs> sometimes I still may need to reach out and say, diggity, help me, help me, help me. There's a, <laughs> well, you know, there's a whole science in what's called integrated pest management. And that's using other bugs even that eat the bugs that are eating your plants and things like that. That's oh, kind yes. of to me a least of taking the path of least harm for yes. uh, nature. So I really like that science. And if you can read up a little bit more on that, I bet you will be calling me less. Oh my gosh, I love that I'm so not, much. Yeah, I'm not wishing because I love talking with you. But, <laughs> but I won't have to be the answer man as much because you'll understand that everything, even coyotes and things that we everybody loves to hate, rattlesnakes, have a, a important, they play an important part in our lives and how the fabric of our planet works. Yep, oh, I believe it. And of course that is true. Of course, on so many levels, spiritual, just intellectual, science, like it all, it's all saying that same thing. We are all connected. <laughs> we That's all right. need each other. Um, and so, well, golly, this was so wonderful. I don't know, is there anything else you have to glean your wisdom onto us, please? Um, <laughs> That, well, that we didn't touch on or anything you just want to wrap things up with? Sure. I have a ra rather random thing in that recently someone gave my wife as a gift. You know, my wife is a painter, an incredibly accomplished painter, and someone gave her a human skull as a gift. <gasps> and they, you know, you must study, you must, <laughs> I'm laughing, you must study the skull and its structure to be able to paint a good uh, portrait of a person. So when, as soon as she brought this thing in, I went, you know, intellectually, I understand why that's great, but emotionally, it's giving me the creeps to have this yeah. remains of a person. And we talked a lot about, about that, which is, I'm very grateful that my wife and I have that kind of relationship where we can talk about things that, you know, doesn't have to make sense. It's a feeling. Yep. So we respect that. And actually, then I talked to a friend of mine who is very into meditation and has been into it for years and years. And I said, isn't there a tantric dance where you're supposed to hold a human skull in one hand and dance? And it's like to, to confront your fears of death through that dance. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I used to do that. Now I'm too old to do that dance gracefully. And I thought that was great. And he said, but did I ever tell you about the time I went and meditated in a graveyard with another meditation teacher? No. And, you know, that was also one of these things about you really need to confront your fears. So going yes. into a graveyard in the middle of the night was good for you in terms of your spiritual development. Yep. So yep, I think yep, our yep. fears are there for a, a reason. And I think part of our paths through life are to confront our fears and ideally overcome them. But I think yes. that's why we have them. Yes. I, I, you know, I've been like, I tend to be more of an anxious person, which of course, anxiety is tied with fear. And I really have been trying to shift when I start to feel anxious. I start to, I try now, instead of going into that panic realm, I try and shift it into more of an excited, like anticipation type of um yeah energy and i think yeah the same can be with with a full-blown fear is like oh my gosh i'm so afraid try and shift that a little bit into like 
you know, a curiosity even. Um, and I think we'll all get along a little bit easier. <laughs> I totally buy, I totally buy that. I gotta say, because I know I'm down to my last words here. I really love you a lot, Mary, and I'm so glad to be able to talk about this stuff with you. I am too. And obviously, Karen, your wife, oh my gosh, just both of you are such treasures in my life. And Ellen, your daughter, oh my gosh, your family. It's just, you're all yeah. so wonderful. And <laughs> we're a lucky bunch. <laughs> yes. And, and that we, you know, found you while we were up there in Seattle is just, you know, we we hit the the friend slash I feel like we're family lottery yeah, so you're you're on my podcast officially um don't be surprised if down the line I need you again um <laughs> I can be the voice of insect reason <laughs> something yes yeah. <laughs> or Bigfoot I don't know who knows what we're going to talk about next time but either way I so appreciate you spending this time with me diggity and just helping me you know these messages I think um we just Let's all keep talking to each other. And, and I think we're all going to come out on top of these crazy years we've been living in. I certainly pray for that. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, love you so much, Diggity. Thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I wish you and Warren and John the best. Thank you, Diggs. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Life in the Faust Lane. If you're a fan of the show, please do us a favor, like, share, and review this podcast to help us grow the show and reach more people. Enjoy this episode.